Yeah, this is Brett Kaufman. So say hi to Brett. So um, I'm gonna. I'm, we talked about some really interesting things before we even walked up here and grabbed the mics. Um, so I told Brett, I'm not sure how I'm, how much I'm actually going to have to refer to my iPad and the questions that that we prepared ahead of time. Um, you. So let's start with maybe the newest development and the thing that I asked you about that I didn't include in the questions, and that's Rove, which is a startup in town that you're working with at Gravity um, and. Talk a little bit about that. Why get involved, and why is this? And and Brock's here. Where's Brock? Um, so you've invested in Brock's company. Um, so why why now to sort of start playing in the startup investor space? Sure. So a um, couple of different questions there. I uh, am starting to do more of that kind of investment, um, mostly because. Uh, I have been able to have some success and want to be able to uh, share that and be able to um, support other entrepreneurs in their success. And that means a lot of different things, which is uh, kind of a whole subject I'm happy to talk about. Um, Rove specifically uh, kind of came from an experience that I had back in the kind of dot-com first wave where I was kind of just getting started out in the banking world, in the business community in my career, and watched a lot of stuff kind of come and go. Uh, Ideas that I had, things that kind of came across my desk, opportunities that I saw that I couldn't take advantage of, didn't have the resources, the confidence, um, the money, the network, the connections, a lot of things that kind of kept me from actually jumping in at that time. And I watched a lot of things kind of come to fruition that I felt like I could have done, we could have done that um, were pretty obvious right in front of our face kinds of things, specific uh, eventually to the real estate business too. So Rove actually kind of hit me. I was out at a conference uh, a year ago, January, the Abundance 360 conference that uh, Peter Diamatis puts on. And I just uh, got for like the second full day immersion of blockchain and really started to understand why, uh, how it was coming and that it was here and that it had application. And so um, I kind of came back from that conference with this concept that um, uh, isn't exactly Rove, Calvin Cooper, who's really uh, the co-founder and really kind of the... Um, brains and and hustle behind the business had his own thing that he was doing. And the two of us just started to kind of uh, blend ideas and work together to see Rove come to life. That that's um yeah, that's awesome. When Calvin first told me about it, I think it was called Roost originally. It was called Roost, yeah. Yeah. And until um, and, and then something else I don't remember and now Rove. But that's also pretty typical, right? It's uh, uh it's the trademark uh uh, you know, got to do, got to do your homework. Right. Um, and, uh, I've got a Pelotonia shirt on. I'm just going to show to demonstrate that, uh, registration for our friends at Pelotonia open. So if you've not ridden or you want to raise money, please do that and support our friends at Pelotonia. Um, there also is a gravity Kaufman development tie. Pelotonia is going to be, um, setting up shop and their home is going to be at gravity soon. That's right. Yep. Their new headquarters will be at gravity and they'll move in, uh, in April. 
And um, Kenny from Roosevelt is opening a shop in Gravity too, right? It is, yep. Kenny's in there doing their build out and they'll uh, be open this spring too. So as you think about spaces, so Pelotonia, obviously a big, powerful brand, the work that Kenny does through Roosevelt, lots of social impact as part of that. How much do you care about that? How much do you care about the companies and the impact that they're having being part of your buildings and what you're doing larger than just the, uh, the structures themselves? Quite a bit. At Gravity in particular, it's been a huge focus of ours to really make sure that we curated the kind of like-minded users. It doesn't have to be all with a nonprofit element. Certainly the philanthropic element of our company and Gravity is an important piece, but it's really more about mindset. We're really intentionally trying to make sure that each um, individual user is curated in a very collaborative kind of holistic view that you know will allow for great things to happen well beyond what we have imagined. Having Kenny and Pelotonia as an example in the same community, we know that there will be all those kind of accidental meetings and collaborations and other things that start to snowball and kind of get created now, well beyond just the physical space that we're providing. Um, so, you know, every restaurant user, every uh, user that comes to us, you know, we, we, we're having a lot of success filling up uh, the commercial leasing at Gravity and the residential now too, but we probably could have filled it three or four times if we were just looking to get um, filled full. Why do you care about spaces so much? Um, why do I care about space? Well, the root reason why I care about what we do is really about trying to provide something that adds value to the human experience. So space and real estate just happened to be where I was, um, you know, in a, from a career standpoint. And so I learned how to kind of take all the things that I care about, all the things that I'm passionate about, and put that into my work. I have always cared about design, probably even going back to my childhood where there was a value around kind of um, how things looked um, more so than actually space. Um, kind of my early childhood programming was very traditional, very kind of like sit up straight, you know, dress the part, you know, shake a hand, look somebody in the eye, do all the things that look good. So I've kind of done some um, sitting on my therapist's couch and dissecting this. And um, I think it had a lot more to like looking good, how things looked that got me interested in space and design. Internally, I was always kind of longing to be an artist and a creative. That's actually like really who I am. Um, so kind of blending that uh, to create in a way that was kind of within the confines of where I started, which was in business and then real estate, is kind of how it's come out in the form of creating space. Um, but that's really not the thing that I'm most passionate about. I'm most passionate about how we impact the human experience, how people can um, become their best selves, how we can provide an opportunity for them to connect and really come into their own. Um, and, you know, there's a whole lot of layers in there that, you know, kind of bring me into other passions. You know, how can you, how can you do that if you're not 
um, you know, kind of working on your shit and going backwards and cleaning up and kind of constantly evaluating and growing. And, you know, that's, that's probably where I'm most focused and why I'm working with, um, you know, Brock and, and Calvin and others to really try to help other people create from, from their best place. And you'll see Brett soon at an acoustic um, guitar performance because um, he, he, he regrets now telling me that he's learning how to play the guitar and he said he's fabulous at it. So no, 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 that's no, going to no, be no, any no. day now. <laughs> I know I, I have uh, a while back, I picked up guitar and, um, and I'm terrible at it. My, I learned with my son who's great now and I'm still terrible. And what I found myself doing actually is mentoring my guitar teacher who now owns like four um, uh, teaching studios. So um, he comes to me, I'm supposed to be learning how to play the guitar. And instead he's got You're this giving him business, business growth advice. taken off. So it's, it's failing. Visibly. Seems like, right. Seems like it's worked out for him. Okay. Though I took up painting instead. So that's, that's um, probably more likely to share my, my painting before my guitar. What, um, what was the threshold to start Kaufman? Um, and um, I'll ask a, a two part question. What was the threshold? What was the tipping point? And then, how ready were you? Or was it just sort of a leap? You're, I think I'm just going to do this. Yeah, no, I spent 15 years. So I, um, I started out in college as an architecture major, thinking that I really wanted to be an architect until I got somewhere into like the physics, statistics, and realized that like being an architect had very little to do with history and design. And it was more about, you know, making sure buildings stood up forever and you didn't get sued. So, um, I uh, pivoted into what was called regional development, like a planning um, degree. Uh, but graduating from college didn't have a whole lot of opportunities in that space. Planning wasn't such a um, big field at the time. So um, I did what every um, uh, good um, Jewish boy does uh, who's got a serious girlfriend who's four years older than them who wants to impress their parents. And I got a job at a bank. And so I uh, put on a suit and tie and I was a banker um, for far too long. Uh, I learned a lot, but um, spent really 15 years in banking and then in um, real estate working with a large production builder and um, really found myself uh, feeling pretty uh, disenfranchised with my work. I was really not uh, happy. I had spent my entire career thinking that that's what work was, that you would go to work and sometime after work, sometime on the weekend, later in life, retirement, vacations, you got to do the things you wanted to do. And I just thought that's what it was. Um, but that became uh, to the point that I was so unsettled uh, that I really started to do some serious exploration and thought I was in the wrong business, really thought I needed, I was in you know, development at the time, but really thought I needed to kind of totally exit the real estate world. And fortunately, and, and I think kind of um, you know, in perfect kind of harmony, which is just a worldview of mine, things started to align for me. I started to um, uh, go to uh, a few things that happened right within a few month period. I went to the Landmark Forum. I went um, to the Summit Series, uh, first Summit Series event uh, on the Summit at Sea, and uh, I got a coach. I met somebody through a peer group that I was in that started to really kind of teach me how I could love my work and that all the things that I thought were outside that I was doing 
on the weekends or thinking I would do some day later in life could be a part of my work. And I'll never forget, he said, you know, people jump, make that jump for two reasons. Either they're really on fire about what they want to do or they're drowning, dying where they are. And I was both. I was really uh, drowning where I was. And I had this idea that I could really create a different kind of community, a different kind of company that um, would make a difference and that I could go to work loving what I did every day. So um, there was a whole bunch of steps in between there before I made the jump. But um, you know, that eventually uh, I knew I was ready. How much of those occurrences were serendipitous and how much of it you just got really intentional and then you took it you took advantage of those those occurrences and those opportunities i mean you went to summit series for example right it is were you in a mindset at that point already that's like oh i'm going to do this because i know i'm going to get out of it or were you still sort of exploring and then those things sort of came together and then you got intentional after those occurrences yeah it was totally serendipitous and yet you know once those things started to line up, there was an intentionality that was there. You know, in hindsight, it appears to be like a uh, more serendipitous than it was intentional, and and that's probably the case. I think you know having intentionality really matters. And now I'm more intentional. I mean, almost uh, I, I'm you know very intentional about what I'm doing. But when I look back and I think about my life as a whole, everything seems to have happened in um, perfect, perfect synchronicity. I mean, everything, even the things that um, were really, really hard. And that is just a, a worldview of mine that life is perfect for what it is and for what it's not. And I literally went to Summit Series because I sat uh, next to a guy in a restaurant on an island with my wife to a place we've never been, who we were like been alone um, for five days in a row and ran out of things to talk about. So we started talking to the couple next to us at dinner. And next thing you know, we became friends. And he said, hey, you ought to go to this Summit Series thing. I never did that kind of stuff. That was not like a thing that I did. Um, But next thing you know, I'm on a boat with 2,000 people um, my age or younger that were like up to really big shit. And it hit me. It hit me that, you know, I wanted to do that, that I thought I had that in me. And, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that the other kind of two things, Landmark and the coach, all came into my life at the same time, literally within months. Uh, But, you know, the intentionality came in that what I wanted to create took a lot of work. It took a lot of not just the work to start a business, but the the thought process in the exiting my prior company and really writing and creating and vetting and you know making sure that it was right. You know, there was a lot of intentionality about how then to move forward. When we were getting ready, you talked about, and we were sort of talking about initiating things and the many things that you're now in, involved in and you gave a reference to, to Bob Dylan and something that he said that, that you found value in and you still sort of leverage today. So talk about that if you would. Yeah, we were talking about is, um, I watched this documentary when I was in that process of trying to figure out really you know, what I was going to do and what was my opus was the language that we were using. And 
I remember seeing this documentary of Bob Dylan talking about how he wrote like a Rolling Stone. And the language that he used was just puke it up, just kind of like vomit it. Sorry if you're still eating pizza. Yeah. Um, But yeah, he just said like he would just vomit it onto the page and that there was no filter, there was no right, there was no judgment. It was just letting his, his mind, you know, kind of flow onto the page. And I just, you know, still see, you know, in my, in my artwork and kind of just in life, kind of the more that you can just let go, surrender, get it out there, take that first step, not worrying about it being perfect, just, you know, kind of moving in alignment and in flow and in the right direction, at least what you think is the right direction that, you know, that, that oftentimes is the most important thing you can do. How do we get out of our own way and out of our own heads? Because sometimes the, 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 and, and part of this is sociological, some of this is nurture, right? Where you were talking about, you know, your, your uh, childhood sit up straight, you know, you know, get your, you know, keep your act together, et cetera. How do we sort of break out of some of those norms and allow ourselves to try things and do things when we're, 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 we're we know we're not ready, but we can still, we can still try it and we can still take an attempt and we can still, you know, we can still puke it up. Yeah. You know, for me, it requires a lot of work. I mean, I, um, I want to say that there's an easy answer to how you kind of get out of your own way and, and kind of clear your shit, but it has not been easy for me. Uh, you know, I, um, there's a kind of a lot of layering to my upbringing that kind of made it challenging, but, um, you know, I think we all have our shit. We all have our trauma. We all have, um, even those have had nothing but, you know, unconditional love. There's stuff that gets kind of layered in with that. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's just been a lot of work for me. And what I've learned is getting help doing that uh, is the only way that you, for me, that I've actually been able to make progress. Um, I joke about my therapist, but I've been in therapy most of my life. Um, and, and because I want to be, I was 10 years old, my parents got divorced and my mom took us to a therapist and my uh, sister ran out screaming, said she was never going back, has never gone back. Um, and I asked my mom when the next appointment was. So, you know, I've just kind of loved, you know, the work and the growth work, and I've seen it work for me. And, you know, you, you kind of feel like you're actually kind of getting into a place that feels like you, that, that you can create from. And so once you kind of get a taste of like, oh, that's hard, but it works, uh, you kind of want to keep going with it. Well, my therapist doesn't want me to go come back. So after every appointment, she's like, oh, you're going to schedule another one? And I'm like, yeah. Well, that's a whole nother set of That's issues. a whole other conversation, right? Time for that. Um, so you surrounded yourself um, with lots of interesting, creative people. Um, did, um, is Mike here? Um, no, he's not. I wish Mike Shot was here because he is um, an unfair human being. He is the sweetest, most handsome man anybody has ever laid their eyes on. And he's part of Brett's team. And Brett and I told Brett that. Um, and Brett, it's felt, true. It's you, Brett felt the yeah, same way. So um, it's and not, because it, he's not, it's not here, weird. I'm going to admit that that's true. Right. Yeah. And it's not weird at all. Um, but, you know, like you're working with Patrick Klein 
And if, if you guys don't know Patrick, um, he used to manage Mike Posner and he's done so much stuff in the music industry and, and lots of creative spaces. And then I met Bree for the first time at the, the Humans of Columbus, um, a dinner that, w- that was at Gravity. Um, and she was telling me a little bit about her background and, and Burning Man in the early days and all that sort of stuff. It's like, how are you a magnet for these smart, creative, interesting people? Well, I don't really think it's... She told me that yeah. she... Because I said, okay... You're going to ruin my answer no. if you say this, but go ahead. Okay. She's, she said... I asked her, I said, so why are you here? Right? And she was like, I came for Brett. Yeah, see, that's exactly the opposite of what I was going to say. Um, so she told me the truth and now you're going to lie. Well, no, I just don't think it is about me. I think that even if she thinks it is, it's really about the idea and it's really about the... Um, it's about the atmosphere. It's about, you know, kind of creating this place that is really um, aspirational and it's really loving and it's really caring. And, you know, this is, I was uh, talking to Alex a little bit about this. This is kind of just how I um, want to uh, support people so that they can be most effective and do a better job. I mean, you have to perform at our company. I mean, we have a really clear, like, right people, right seat, above the bar, below the bar. I mean, we measure, you have to perform, but we want to give you every tool and every opportunity and love the hell out of you um, because we believe that will be best for you and for the company. And so um, it's really, you know, probably about, you know, just allowing people to really be them their best self. I mean, the reason we created the company, the reason we build these communities all comes back to that. And I think that's really um, resonated with people. They feel really, it's sincere and they, and they feel it. And then, you know, we're trying to do some cool shit. So, you know, that's, you know, attracts people like Brianna um, who has been going to Burning Man since the beginning. And you go there and you see all the beautiful art and you feel, you know, kind of this, um, you know, real, um, you know, kind of, you know, lovey, you know, I don't know, ecstatic kind of experience. And then you go back to your job and, you know, that's like a thing. Everybody leaves Burning Man and they like, don't know what to do. They call it decompression. You know, you have to take time. So we're trying to actually create that stuff to exist all day, everywhere in Columbus, Ohio. And, uh, you know, people are kind of excited to be a part of that. So, building buildings must be a total pain in the ass. I mean, there's a lot it of is. shit that can go wrong. Yeah, right? it really is. And you could, and it, and you could lose your ass, right? Yeah, if it goes that. too far sideways, right? Yeah. So, um, that, I mean, it's worked out okay, seemingly, yeah. but. Yeah, I mean, a couple things. Um, somebody once told me early on, don't confuse being good for a great market. And, uh, and that really stuck with me because I think we do some things pretty good, but we've been in a great market. So there's no, no way around kind of this really amazing market that's been at our back. Um, the other thing that I think of when you ask me that is when I first did my first deal, I'd already done it. It was a 320 unit project just outside of New Albany. It was a large deal. And um, I went to see a guy who had been in the business a long time. And he said, um, you know, you can't be in this business if you uh, sign your name 
on debt that you can't afford to pay back and you lose any sleep over it. And I thought to myself, oh, well, that's good because I just signed a $30 million bank loan and I've never even thought about it. Uh, So you really have to be pretty adverse to risk to be in this business. You just have to have that in, in your blood and probably, you know, in a lot of things. You if you're somebody and you know you're just really risk adverse, you don't have to do it. You know, you, you might not want to do it. Um, I actually am way more risk adverse today than I was then because now I have something to lose. Uh, but, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, I have learned and I'm, I'm starting to kind of see that the business is a grind. It is hard. It's a really long capital-intensive, risky way to try to make a difference in people's lives. And so that's something that I'm still grappling with. The, the buildings that you build um, have broad social community impact, right? So gravity is, is, is going to reshape Franklinton um, and that part of town. One could argue that 250 South High did that in that quadrant and then 80 on the commons and, you know, those sort of, you know, cornerstones of the commons how how serious how much thought goes into that versus yeah this is a plot of land where a building makes sense and we're going to make a shit ton of money off of this building and do do are they weighted equally or in some cases is it perfectly okay to say we're going to make a shit ton of money on this property because we're going to have lots of social community impact in this other one yeah, no, I think, you know, it's, it's um, the, the other one that probably got more of the kind of eyebrow raised because it was early on was 600 Goodale. Uh, at the time, that was across from the White Castle. There was nothing over there. It was no man's land next to a highway. The kind of homeless situation on the river was well documented. And uh, people thought I was crazy to do that project. You know, I have kind of a unique ability and it's just, it's not like a, it's just something I can do, which is I can envision what could go somewhere and then, you know, really believe that it'll work. Um, And so it's really not about anything else other than like, I know we could, I know exactly what would go there and I know it'll work. And then underneath it, you know, I, I kind of all kidding aside about the banking and the, and the um, production building, I learned some really, really good fundamentals about being in this business. So if I see a piece of dirt and I know I can buy it right and I know what kind of incentives are possible or um, what kind of drive-by traffic it has and what kind of visibility it has and kind of how many units we can fit on the acre and the densities and the cost and all the stuff that go into the business that really you don't see all the fundamentals of the business. If I can kind of get a vision for something that I think will really make an impact, and that is where kind of the creative piece and the social piece comes in, is we won't just do something that we don't think can be massively impactful and also is really fundamentally strong. And then, you know, I layer in my vision for how to make that happen. And you know, we go. It has to kind of check all those boxes. And none of the projects are uh, solely kind of for the community. It has to be profitable. It has to really meet investor returns. We take a lot of investor money, mostly 90% of 
all the equity that goes into every one of our deals is coming from a third party. And so I've got to hit returns. I've got to meet bank debt service coverage ratios. I am signed on that debt. I have got to get off the debt. These, these projects have to really pencil out, but that's not enough. And on the other hand, doing something for the community, we're not in a place where we can just do that. So that's where I think you know, our secret sauce is. Can it be massively impactful? Can it transform a neighborhood? Can we really help a lot of people find a place to live and work that really makes their lives better? And will it work? Will it economically work? And you know that limits the amount of deals that we can do. But when we find that kind of a deal, we go. Are you batting a thousand, or have you have you struck out? Is there a is there a property in a building that you at this point would rather have not done? Um, I, I would say we're not batting a thousand. We haven't had any in this cycle with this company with Coffin Development. We haven't had any um, uh, bad deals. But um, we've had some that have gone better than others. And every one of them has, again, kind of been perfect for what they are and what they're not. So, um, for example, I'll tell you, like, we did the Levesque Tower project. It was really hard. Um, I had never done a historic renovation before. I got kind of drawn to it. It was the Levesque Tower. I lived in Columbus most of my life. How could I say no to that? You know, um, it's been it's been tough. It's been challenging. We'll eventually make money on it. I think it's still an asset I'm really happy to own, to own 70 units at the top of that building. I think someday will be worth a lot of money, but it hasn't exactly materialized into some huge windfall for us. But again, I do it all day long. I learned a ton. I know how to do that now. I think someday we'll make money. And it's the Levesque Tower. I'm happy to be a part of it. Yeah, well, that's probably a very unique customer, right? That's probably a very unique buyer on, on the consumer side, right? It is. I mean, the apartments are actually full. The condos have been a little bit slower to sell, but they're actually starting to move now. Um, but yeah, you have, to, you have to really want to be in that kind of living. And um, you know, it's, it's not for everybody. So beyond your therapist, who do you seek advice and guidance and support from? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, certainly, my family. Uh, my wife is very supportive, and you know, to the extent that she can, she will give me. She spent five days alone with you, so I mean, you know, yes. that that seems more like punishment than enjoyment. Uh, but well, that's probably true. Um, but she, we will be married twenty years in September, so she um, is apparently sticking with me for now, at least. Um, no, my wife gives me really great advice. Like whenever I want to really actually just like, know, just like bottom line, like tell me the truth, I can count on her. I've got some good friends. I do rely a lot on my coach and my therapist and, um, that kind of, um, network. Uh, and you know, I will say that it can be a little bit lonely. I mean, to, um, kind of be running your own company. And I think, you know, I say that intentionally, there's probably people here that feel that, you know, you, when you're kind of making the decisions and your ass is on the line and nobody really understands your business and your industry, you know, you're kind of out there on your own a lot. So um, sometimes you just kind of have to wrestle through it on your own. How do you deal with, with that emotional, psychological roller coaster? Um, because it, it, it it can be a very, the entrepreneurial journey can be very lonely because ultimately nobody has the same level of responsibility and accountability that you do. 
um, and the members of the team don't have the same level of risk. Your family impacted significantly, but they can't really relate to it. So how have you over time, uh, again, I mean, I feel like we're just going to keep going back to your therapist. Uh, other than seeing your therapist, right? how have you dealt with sort of that mercurial emotional journey? Yeah, I think um, I've learned to get pretty disciplined about routine and about um, kind of incorporating things that really help me stay grounded. So um, I've been meditating for 20 years. That's a big part of my practice. Uh, you know, working out is a big part of my practice. Yoga is a big part of my practice. Um, you know, now, as I said, I've incorporated other kinds of artistic outlets. It used to be that I was getting 100% of my creativity from my work. So playing guitar, painting uh, has really allowed for me to kind of get out of it. Uh, I've built a time management system into my life that allows me to really focus certain activities in certain days, actually take, you know, I call them free days. So I'm really actually not working um, on certain days, which is a a uh, new concept uh, for me and for a lot of entrepreneurs, you can fall into the trap of, you know, working all the time. And so I take time off. Um, I've kind of bucketed my activities so that I'm, um, you know, really focusing certain things, certain days. I do a lot of self-care. I did not used to do this. When I started my business, I went down into the business and didn't come up probably for five years. And you have to do that, though, to one, learn it and to have enough confidence and sort of validation to yourself that you you were going to work hard enough and grind hard enough to make it successful? You know, or do you I, think that's a bullshit line that we tell ourselves, that we have to grind that hard to make it work? I think it's a little bit of both, honestly. I mean, I think there is some level of like, when you're in it, you're in it, and nobody else is asked online, you got to do it. And if that means you got to work late and hard hours. and you know, my definition of balance is just don't stay over in one area for too long. So it's not that you have to kind of have this all perfectly parsed out, but, you know, you can't grind it out like that and stay over there and expect to be healthy and expect your family to love you if you stay over there forever or you stay over there for too long. So um, I'm actually kind of of the belief that like, yes, and it's kind of bullshit too, that nothing really matters that much. And, uh, you know, they're all the cliches about, you know, kind of what you take with you and, you know, what people say on their deathbed about where they wanted to spend their time and it's never in the office. All that I actually think is true. And more importantly, I think it's just not sustainable that if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not charging your car before you drive it, you know, that's how it works. You don't wait till your car runs out of gas or electricity and then charge it, it, you fill it up first. And so I actually believe, and this is you know kind of part of what I'm trying to do in supporting other entrepreneurs is teach them that you have to support yourself. You've got to be able to give yourself what you need. You got to be able to have things good at home. You got to be able to feel healthy. You got to take some time to surround yourself with a network, go to a conference, get involved in a mastermind, that those things will pay off probably way more than you grinding it out like you think you need to. What's the, the I'm going to ask a different question because it's a better segue just to base, based upon what you just said. Is, is an entrepreneur an entrepreneur regardless of whether you started a, a development company and you build buildings 
um, and a software company? Is being an entrepreneur fundamentally being an entrepreneur? Or do you think there are significant differences between the kind of company that you start and, and attempt to grow? That's a good question. I, I honestly don't know because I've only done what I've done. So I don't really know what it's like to be a software startup or another kind of entrepreneur. I do think, though, there are a lot of similarities. I think that your struggles are very similar in a lot of ways. You're looking at capital, you're looking at cash flow, you're looking at risk, you're looking at your vision, how you build your team. I think there's a lot of commonality uh, sector to sector. Um, there's certain things that are no question different. I mean, sometimes I see the, some of the announcements of so-and-so raised X amount of dollars. I'm thinking like, big deal. We do that all the time. Nobody writes about it, right? Um, you know, it's, 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 there's, you know, a lot of kind of um, differences, but I think there's a lot of commonality. And ultimately, you know, what I kind of think is the uh, key ingredient is, and, and this isn't, necessarily true across the board. I mean, there's a lot of big businesses that have had, you know, tremendous amount of success that probably don't have this. But at the end of the day, I think it's about like, why? Why are you doing what you're doing? And if you have a belief in something that you think um, has a good why to it, it doesn't have to be about impact. It could just be like, there's a need for this in the market or whatever. You have belief and a good reason for why you're doing what you're doing. And I think you can be an entrepreneur. The um, other thing that I was that I started to ask you about is um, when you talked about routines a little bit, are there things that you do consistently day in day out that are that are just non negotiable that it happens regardless of where you are, right? Time zone, et cetera, et cetera. Are there some just fundamentals that you operate on top of that um, for you are sacred at this point? Uh, I would say pretty close. And, you know, what I've done over time as I've wanted to be more intentional and really kind of build discipline because it's easy for me just to, you know, do the easy thing is I've kind of like, and I have mixed feelings about the hack word, but I have kind of developed some life hacks. So I literally have an app that I use that I will track. Did I meditate today? Did I journal today? Did I work out today? Did I paint today? Did I listen to a podcast today? Did I read? Did I write? Did I coach somebody? You know, I track that and I will go back and look. What, what's left to do? <laughs> well, you don't do it all every day, right? And, and so some of it, you know, I'll say like, well, I want to have X amount of, and it's, it's everything I can think of. Like I like to go to the float spa, I like acupuncture. I will literally measure how many times that I go this month. And how many times am I going to try to go this quarter? And I'll go back and look like, how did that go? Do I need to calibrate that? Do I still want to do that? Is that still something I want to focus on? But it keeps it front of mind. And I, you know, for me, measuring stuff works. So um, the things that I do every day, really uh, journal, meditate, I exercise most days. Um, and uh, um, that's kind of the three kind of consistence. What's the biggest personal challenge you've had to overcome growing Kaufman into the company that it is now? Yeah, I think for me, it was getting myself out of the day-to-day, really understanding that my being in my unique ability, which is just language that I've 
um, picked up from Strategic Coach. I don't know if anybody's familiar, but I'm involved with something called Strategic Coach, which has been a huge uh, game changer for me. And uh, they use the language unique ability, which is really just the things that you love to do that drive the most value to the business. And for me, that's like walking around a city I've never been in or staying at a hotel and really spending time kind of looking at how they did the design and taking pictures of stuff. And, um, you know, it could be uh, anything, just, you know, kind of carving out of the business is where I actually am having the most fun, love what I'm doing, and I'm driving you know, the big ideas back to the business and realizing that that was really of value and that I needed to build a team. I needed to really invest in the team. I really needed to kind of let go of stuff and um, turn over operations was probably the the biggest uh, work and challenge for me. I'm going to ask a few more questions, then we'll throw it out to the audience um, for questions. Um, Bobby will have um, mics in the back, so just raise your hand and we'll, and we'll get you a microphone. Um, what's what's next for Kaufman? Is is, is there um, just more of the same in Columbus, um, or new new frontiers to conquer? Well, I think we're predominantly focused on gravity. Uh, I feel like gravity is kind of our the evolution of, of my life and of the work. And so I'm actually feeling for the first time um, really since we started that we've kind of found the thing. And so we're getting ready to open the first phase fully in April. The second phase, we're hustling to see if we can pull it off and get it started. And it looks like we're going to do that hopefully in the fall. And, uh, there's a lot of depth there that we've yet to really tap into. You mentioned the Humans of Columbus event. So we are doing events, we are doing programming, but there's so much more that we feel we can do with that brand. Uh, so that's kind of you know the core part of the business. We are going out of state. We're doing a project with the Green Bay Packers, um, which is a odd thing, but we're building apartments and townhouses next to Lambeau Field. And you know, I think that if we can really execute on gravity, that will be the thing that we scale. Um, I have not scaled intentionally. Uh, people think that we've grown and been doing a lot. And, and really, when you look back, it's been like one or two deals a year. And it's really about kind of cherry picking those locations, making sure everything was right. And it's been, you know, an evolution. But we, we feel like gravity is something that we would feel good about getting on a plane and taking uh, elsewhere. And do you think it's, and do you have confidence that it's portable? I do. I really do. And I can't really tell you why other than, you know, I just think people, they want something like this. I, I, I think that, you know, they, they care about the things we care about. They um, now more than ever want to be uh, more collaborative and a part of some kind of community that touches them, that allows them to be the, their best self, allows them to grow, that allows them to meet other people that are interested in similar things and you know, is designed in a way that really is there to facilitate that. Um, I think that's a bet I'm willing to make. Uh, Dan Sullivan from Strategic Coach says um, he'd rather be optimistic and, and wrong than pessimistic and right. So um, that's... that's uh, Kind of how we feel about gravity. Uh, 
congratulations on all the success. And Gravity is a fabulous place. Um, it's much bigger than I thought it was um, because I saw um, a sliver um, and uh, it's super cool space. Um, and I think it is going to be a landmark project in Columbus, if not probably across the country. Thank yeah. you. Congratulations. Thank you. So if you've got a question, raise your hand. And we've got two up here. Oh, Alex has a mic too. Awesome. Okay, go for it. Hi, so my name's Channing. Um, I'm a big fan of the Kaufman developments that I've seen. I've been to Gramercy. I live right next to 801. And um, I've been to... 600 as well. I'm really curious about the Gravity Project because I know that it's in a different location than pretty much all those other ones. You mentioned that 600 originally wasn't the best location, but it doesn't really seem that way now, especially when you see everything around it. So when it comes to Gravity, what is the main goal that you hope to achieve in that location? Yeah, the location is an interesting thing. And I think this is kind of like that part of like, the the vision that I just have. It's funny sometimes when people say to me, like, it's not the best location because I think it's a great location. Um, now, maybe I'm delusional and maybe I'll be wrong. But when I look at it, what I see is like, wow, look at all those people driving up and down Broad Street. And it's right there, like downtown's right there. People for decades parked on our site or next to vets and they walked into work. So at a time where everybody's talking about mobility and walking and, you know, like you can walk to downtown. And more importantly, what I really see um, about gravity, about that site is when I first got exposed to Franklinton, like what was there, it was about the ethos of it all. It was probably stuff that only people that are really attracted to it now or, you know, in years past would really understand. It felt like to me, I was walking into my high school art room that I had that feeling like, oh, these are my people. Like this is, this is actually, like, I know this, I know you and, and I know what to do here. And um, it doesn't mean that, you know, I've got it right or that, you know, there's probably people that don't like it and that's okay. But it felt like I, it was something I understood and was connected to and that we could be a part of. And um and that's little things, you know, I mean, Lance Robbins, who did 400 Rich, you know, I, I think he's, you know, a real visionary and, and, you know, it's stuff like that, that, you know, really tips the scale and gets people like us to get what's possible there. So uh, hopefully that answers your question, but there's really great fundamentals. I mean, at the end of the day, like drive-by traffic and proximity to jobs and, um, you know, affordable land cost and a neighborhood that the city was really focused on incentivizing that allows us to do all this kind of cool design. Uh, we couldn't do that without the incentives. We'd be, we could do something, but it wouldn't look like that. So um, all that was there too, but it was really about that kind of feeling that I had when I um, first went to Independence Day and started to meet, um, you know, the Adam Berlays of the world, the people that were actually like there doing it. Thank you. Sure. Hey, good evening. My name is uh, Aaron McDaniel, and I own a company called Blueprint Investments. Um, we do residential rehabs on the Near East Side of Columbus. Um, I recently left my full uh, full time opportunity, and uh, actually it was February of last year, 
And so one of the things that I've been challenged with is kind of how to grow the business in a smart way. Um, you mentioned uh, working with a business coach, and I think it sounded like you're working with a coach even now. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, how you selected and found that business coach, uh, how you identify the right person for you, how you engage them, and what that relationship looks like on a, on a continual basis. Repeat the question a little bit, too. If you yeah, can. sure. So um, it's a great question. Essentially, you know, how did I find my coach? And, um, you know, what did that engagement look like? Is that, is that right? Yes. Yeah. So it, this kind of comes back to the serendipity part. So I was a part of this peer group that would get together as business guys. I was the youngest guy in there. And um, most of them were coming from very traditional business uh, just out of curiosity, are you still doing that? No. Okay, I'm not either. Yeah. Um, so uh, I I stopped doing that. But the guy, uh, so one a guy in my group um, brought the coach in for a half day, and uh, he kind of took us through a bunch of exercises. And um, the guy that brought him in was working with him and thought he was amazing. And everybody in my group hated this guy. They hated the day and they, and they hated him. And I loved him. I thought, I have got to work with you. I didn't know what a coach was. That was like not a thing. Um, this is 10 years ago. I, it was not a thing in my world that people had coaches, um, that I needed a coach, that I wanted a coach. But I grabbed him and said, like, I've got to work with you. Like, what, what do I have to do? I don't even know what you do, but I want to do it. And, uh, you know, I was kind of this growth junkie then listening to books on tape and Wayne Dyer and always working on and nothing would stick. You know, I loved it, but it wouldn't stick. So, um, you know, he, his method was basically getting, uh, he likes to fire his clients before he hires them or before you can hire him. So he gave me 20 pages of really difficult questions to answer uh, about how I um, saw myself and how I viewed the world. Most people never finish those questions. If you finish the questions, then he'll meet with you and then you can talk and then the engagement can begin. And uh, yeah, that's kind of how it went. It was a lot about like, I know you want to talk about your business and I know you want to talk about your boss and I know you want to talk about this and that, but like, what do you believe about the world? What do you believe about yourself? Who are you? And we started there and did that for a long time uh, before we got to business. And, uh, and that's what I talk about, you know, when you can create from a place of kind of knowing who you are and what you stand for and how you're going to be in the face of the challenges. And, um, you know, I think you're creating from a much purer, stronger place. And I do still work with him today. And I have probably taken on a whole bunch of other coaches along the way too. I, I think coaching is the next kind of version of management that like, that's actually what, you know, coaching is becoming. Um, why we do anything in life without a coach is, is just like silly to me. You know, you know, my, um, uh, it's like, you know, would you go to the, would you go to the Amazon without a tour guide? You know, you know, life is kind of messier than the Amazon. Thank you. Ben, go for it. Cool. Thanks for coming. Uh, ben, 
I, I was I was curious about um, you spoke a little bit about like finding your proclivity. What was it? It was of uh, unique value. Is that what it was called? Unique ability. Unique ability. Um, I'm, I'm curious how you found that specifically the piece about because I'm sure each of us has things that kind of fit part of that definition, but specifically the part about the one that drives the maximum value for the business. Like, how, how, what was your process carving that out? I know Ben a little bit. I don't believe he has any unique abilities. <laughs> Uh, that is not true, Ben. Um, ben is a very smart, capable person. I'm sure he is. Um, yeah, so I, I actually went through an exercise, and there was probably a lot of work uh, that that I went through before I got to that actual exercise. But the exercise that kind of ultimately like put it on paper was piece of paper split in four, bottom quadrant, um, incompetent, bottom uh, left competent, um, top right, uh, excellent, but doesn't love it. And unique ability is love it and drives the most value. And, you know, you can kind of quickly look at basically uh, writing down what you do every day in the course of a week, a month, all the activities that you do and put them into one of those quadrants. And so when I looked up at that top left quadrant, now for me, I was spending 10% of my time in that quadrant when I did that exercise, which wasn't that long ago, by the way. Uh, and, you know, seeing, like actually asking yourself, well, how did I get here? What was the thing that actually got me here in the first place? Um, I was well into my business when I did that. So, you know, seeing that, oh, I remember when I got that idea, when I went to that museum and it actually is what um, created the exterior skin of Goodale. Or I was in Dallas when I stayed in that hotel and got all those ideas about how we could, you know, create that amenity space. And you can start to kind of unpack, oh, wait a minute, that wasn't a waste of time. Uh, I know everybody thought I was like screwing around, traveling, having fun, but like I actually got million dollar ideas from that one visit to that one place. And what if I did more of that? Like, would that drive more big ideas? And what if that's really my unique ability to be the big idea guy? Um, and and then embracing that, like not being apologetic about it and, and getting that that's actually driving value to the business. And that maybe there's nobody else in the organization that knows how to do that. And maybe there's a whole bunch of other people that can do the things in the other three quadrants. So it's, I think to some degree, it's like really honoring and, and creating a new value system for what drives value that is not really built into kind of most organizations and into society in general. Ben, good question. Do you have a question? She's going to give you one second. Hi, Phil Goldstein. Um, had a question about like the employees that are in your organization, like the employee value proposition, like you've talked about your vision for your organization. You've talked about, you know, like the societal impact of trying to help people become their best selves. You've talked extensively about making you your best self. What do you do for your employees to kind of drive and nurture employee engagement? So, you know, we do a lot, um, you know, and it's probably... Please tell me the mic shot is really high maintenance. That he, like, needs a lot of, like, babysitting. No, yeah, um, I don't know. I'll think of a flaw, but it's okay. not obvious. Please. Yeah, please. No, sorry. Um, I, uh, so we do a lot of different things. And, and that was kind of, you know, 
one of the big motivators for starting the company to begin with is taking all those things. I remember, you know, working at the bank and my first job out of college, I was working at a commercial bank, which will remain nameless. And I went to my boss and said, oh, it's the um, Jewish New Year. And, you know, I'm going to be off on Tuesday. It's the holiest day of the year. And, um, and he said, oh, okay, well, just, you know, like uh, put in your um, vacation time. That's an unpaid day. And I remember thinking to myself like, oh, okay, um, I get it. Like, I didn't know that. I just like assumed that, and, and that's, you know, naive and whatever, but um, it's, a, it's a thing that I brought with me. And um, all the things that, you know, I wanted to do that I couldn't do in the corporate environment and the other um, uh, places that I had worked, I wanted to change about how we were creating this company. Why would we want to do that to people? Why wouldn't we want people to actually feel really, really good about the opportunities that they had and the flexibility that they had and that they could be valued and trusted and and that we would be committed to their growth? That like, why would that not be a good thing for business. So, I mean, specifically, we offer uh, transcendental meditation, which you know has been kind of my practice uh, to all of our employees for almost uh, no money. We pay for it, like ninety-five percent of it. We want them to have a little skin in the game if they're going to learn. Um, we send everybody to Landmark Forum that wants to go after they've been with us a certain amount of time. Um, we do a lot of stuff like you know, if you want to. Um, uh, enter any kind of a race or a competition and kind of well-being kind of initiative that you're going to, whether it be, you know, Pelotonia or a marathon or triathlon or something, we pay for the admission fees. We have, um, you know, a lot of kind of like corporate calendar stuff, which, um, you know, kind of moves around where we're paintball and we're yoga and we're um, whatever. The Probably the biggest thing is when I first was getting started, a big part of what I thought it meant to build community was um, volunteering in the broader community. And we were trying to create our own volunteer events and failing because that's just not anything that I'd ever done or had any experience doing. And uh, Matthew Goldstein from Besso walked into my office and said, oh, I have this idea where I can create volunteer activities for corporations and um, you know, I, you know, what do you think? I said, what do you need? It's, it, we need that badly. And he said money. And I said, okay. And then we, we, he was off and running. And, and so we offer volunteer activities, push the button, sign up, go with the group, grab your t-shirt, come back to work. Don't come back to work. Doesn't matter. Uh, and, and, you know, easy access to all of those volunteer activities, I think probably is the most important thing we've um, really seeing people get value out of. So how does someone like, how does someone here like Matthew who wants to have a conversation with you about something, go, go about facilitating that conversation? Call Mike shot. What's that? Call Mike shot. <laughs> right. Um, Just know Mike shot and he will open all doors and make all things happen. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's um, look, I, have the reason I say that um, is because one of the things that I find to be the biggest challenge is I don't have the time to actually 
be with everybody in the way that I would like to. Yeah. So I don't want to, I, yeah. I want to establish the right expectation for people, right? That, that, that everyone shouldn't message you on LinkedIn tomorrow, yeah. that they were here yeah. and they thought you sounded good and they thought you were handsome. Right. I mean, so well, you do want to hear that. Okay. Well, well they could tell me that, but um, <laughs> yeah, I look, I think, um, you know, I'm pretty good about checking email and delegating and, you know, responding to what I can. And I am interested in trying to be helpful. And we are investing in um, opportunities now and looking at deals and, you know, wanting to be supportive and give back. So, um, you know, yeah, you can email me, you can message me on LinkedIn and, you know, I'm doing my best to kind of get back to everybody and or delegate. Um, but uh, yeah, I spend a fair amount of time trying to slot that in because it is important. And there are a lot of really good, smart people out there that um, maybe I can play a small role in what they're doing. One final question. Alex is pointing to someone. Um, hi, my name is Navo. And since we were just on the topic of employees, I wanted to ask you, how you screen people who seem to be unconventional. And I ask this because, well, I'm an African immigrant, like, and my parents were not very rigid. So I kind of had like the alternate path of what you've had. Like I've always expressed my intuition as freely as I wanted and it's worked out. And my entire life has kind of been serendipitous. Like, and I also do things intentionally, but now I'm getting to a point where it's like, either I decide to go into corporate America where I know I'll be miserable or I try to find like companies like yours, but I need to like also able to like project to you or portray to you that I have the capacity, right? So like, what is your screening process for um, unconventional individuals? Well, I think, uh, yeah, that, that is a really good question. And it's a little bit easier for me to answer that than, you know, it might be like universally true. So from day one, I have tried to hire people that don't have experience because all of the experience that I was aware of in our industry was not what I wanted to create. It was very specific to the industry, which, you know, was really um, very different than the kind of like vibe that I wanted and the kind of, um, you know, experience I wanted our customers to have. So we've always been looking for kind of exactly what you just said is authenticity. Like you come in and you tell me, I don't know, but I will learn. And here's how I've proven that I can learn. And more importantly, like I believe in what you're doing and here's how I can demonstrate that. It's gotten harder for us to sift through it because people can now go to our website or they know a little bit about us. They come in and they can regurgitate philanthropy and sustainability and you know creative expression and all this kind of stuff that's on the website. And we have to like dig, dig, dig. Like, are they really meaning it? Like, how are they actually acting that out? Are they really what they say they are? But if you're authentic and you're passionate and you've got some experience doing something that can prove to us that you are capable, um, you know, we, we value capabilities way more than credentials. We're really not hiring on credentials. And I actually, you know, kind of universally think that's where the world should go and is hopefully moving, that credentials are going to become way less important. Um, so I would tell you, don't do it. Um, stick to your intuition. It's gotten you this far and just be fully expressed and the right thing will show up as it always has. Okay, we will do one final question because you've been smiling and so happy this entire time that I want you to be able to ask your question. Wow. 
Okay, my question is not really business related, but two questions here. First one, what kind of art do you like? And then I know you are sending the people to the Burning Man. Are you thinking about going there by yourself as well? <laughs> yeah, so um, art first. Um, so when I got back into painting again, I decided that I was not going to take a class. Um, the thing I hated about high school art was that like you had to do whatever they told you to do that period or month. And I was not good at like a lot of the kind of fine arts and a lot of the you know things that you needed skill for. So um, I told myself that I was really only there to uh, move energy and to be creative. And it wasn't about what it looked like, uh, which is really hard for me because I actually care a lot about what it looks like. Um, so I started um, kind of like Jackson Pollock style, just like throwing paint all over the place. And I've just made like a massive mess. <coughs> you got some on your pants, oh, by know, the way. It's all yeah. over me. It's on my right. hands. And, and I've ruined all my shoes and clothes. Um, but uh, it's really fun. And it's moved, you know, from that into kind of some of the spray paint. And um, just, I love kind of contemporary art and, you know, a lot of the street artists and seeing kind of that become like a highly valued thing in our culture today just gets me really excited. So that's kind of what I've been playing with art-wise. And Burning Man, um, I, uh, I am not going to Burning Man anytime soon. We send a group of people that goes, which I feel really good about because um, it's just like not real uh, kind of like... Um, easy for me to slide that into my life right now. I'm doing all kinds of other stuff and um, like going to the um, middle of the desert where my cell phone doesn't work and um, parting like that for a week, you know, when I got these three kids at home and <laughs> out business and other things, I've just like, and that's like all kind of noise. I just, I don't really want to go bad enough. Um, but I love that we have people that go and they come back excited and, and learned a ton and they have like these amazing pictures and they, you know, bring it back into the business and they love it. And that's good enough for me. I would like to, to uh, have you come in and do a shout out to the art community in town. You mentioned Adam Brule. Um, it, I, I think we have a fabulous art community that a lot of people are unaware of and don't engage in. Um, talk about that for a second, if you would. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of phenomenal artists in Columbus and, um, and uh, in Franklinton specifically, and we've been um, working with the Franklinton Arts District. We did the whole May wall. We had an RFP where artists um, got paid to create little space um, uh, along the entire uh, western wall of uh, gravity. And then we're going to do the eastern wall this spring along where we're doing this big food truck court. And so... Um, I, yeah, I don't know what to say. There's there's a lot of really beautiful, talented artists. Mandy Kasky's doing an enormous mural inside uh, the stairwell. We left our stairwell, our main stairwell, open so that we would encourage people to um, walk up the stairs to take the elevator. And she's got like a 80 foot um, killer mural that she's doing all along the stairwell. Um, she's awesome. Um, I think it's Lauren Carter Best. I might be butchering that, but she did this beautiful um, mural right outside the front door of Gravity that's got a really personal story about mental health. Um, 
yeah, there's just a ton of really great. Adam Hernandez did these huge gates walking into the um, back of the project. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of talent in this community, and well, thanks for supporting yeah. them because yeah. um, Adam's you know done some stuff with me over the years, and the one refrain I still have is, "Dude, you have to charge more." Right, because he'll send me an invoice for something, and I'm like, "Really?" I mean, because he's and I have no ability in that space whatsoever, and so I'm sort of in awe in awe of his his talent. And then he sends me an invoice, and it should be a you know, I shouldn't be saying this on a recording, but it should be four times what it is in 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 reality. So thank you for supporting the artists. It's uh, it's an important thing to do and to support the community. Yeah. It's really our pleasure. It's it's more fun for me when Cobra was in town painting the big mural that everybody sees. I got a chair and sat across the street and just watched him for days. It was um, like I get way more pleasure out of it than than uh, it, probably anything else. Yeah, cool. Help me for thank uh, to thank uh, Brett for joining us tonight. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at the Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.